Thank you for joining us at Truth Matters Church. Today we go back to Jesus' Great Olivet Discourse, a passage critical to our understanding of the events found in Revelation. With a humble and open heart, we revisit what we've learned before from this passage and add some important pieces that we missed the first time around. Download the PDF slide deck for this study on our website or on Sermon Audio. Here is Pastor Alex. So for our study today, we're going to be doing a review of the Great Olivet Discourse. If you recall, we've, took, we've taken many excursions in our Revelation study, and one of the latest excursions we've taken was looking at this Great Olivet Discourse. And the lessons that we covered for this passage were titled, The Days Will Come, And that was a two-part series. And back then, I did call this a do-over study because when I look back and, you know, we're building a foundation of really studying the end times. And that foundation is on the Old Testament with the New Testament giving us a fuller and complete picture. But one of the main building blocks for studying end times is the Great Olivet Discourse. So if I had a do-over, I'd do Daniel, then the Olivet Discourse, before we jumped into Revelation. But you know the saying, better late than never? And that's what we did with this study. If you ask me, I know we're familiar with this being called the Great Olivet Discourse, but another title or designation we can give for this passage, this is really the Great End of the Age Discourse. That's what this discourse is all about. It's concerning the last days of this age up to the end of the age. So this is a massive and panoramic passage of Scripture that began from the time our Lord uttered these words. And I argued that apart from Daniel and Revelation, if you were to look at the entire Bible and you were to say, which passage of scripture gives us a comprehend or gives us comprehensive details concerning the end times and it's all in one place then i would argue that that would be this discourse given by our lord now many of our lord's teachings he gave us parables concerning the end times but those were also written in parables what's unique about the olivet discourse it's a straight narrative it's not like revelation where It's a different style of writing, apocalyptic in writing, highly figurative. So you have to really put your thinking caps on and and interpreting scripture with itself to get the interpretation and its meaning. But as far as the Olivet Discourse, straight narrative, not written in code. It's straight up. Love it. I wish all the Bible was like that, but also it wouldn't be a treasure hunt at the same time. But here was the learnings from this series. We took a look at the account itself and the context. The disciples, after observing the temple and its magnificence and the votive gifts, were saying, hey, Jesus, check this out. Pretty cool, isn't it? And our Lord says, well, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be thrown down. And the disciples, in their curiosity, they asked him, well, when is that going to happen? 
But you know what, if, uh, how many of us, when you say, if you had one question to ask Jesus, do you know what you would ask him? Have you thought about it? No, right now, let's say you're with our Lord, and you have one question to ask him. Have you thought about it? Well, this is kind of one of those where they got their money's worth. It was a loaded question. It was really a three-part question, a three-in-one. When is the destruction going to happen? When are you coming back? And when is the end of the age? Basically, when is this age going to end and you're going to establish your kingdom to your people, Israel? And they asked them, what's the sign? Give me the sign. So then for us, we're like, okay, let's, let's figure out what that sign was. But to get there, let's answer some key questions. First of all, when our Lord said the days will come, what does, what does that mean? What was he referring to? As far as when the temple will be destroyed, which temple was he referring to? And a certain the sign he was pointing to because that was what the disciples asked. And then lastly, one of the questions we wanted to answer, at least for me, because we last left off in Revelation chapter 6 and, to, and the breaking of the seals, I wanted to see, okay, Jesus gave them the sign. Where does that fall with respect to the breaking of the first seal? So these were some answers that I wanted to, or some questions I wanted to get answers to. So here were the answers to these questions. This is our review. When our Lord said the days will come, when the temple will be destroyed, but not... This was the key. He said, not one stone will be left upon another. And if you recall, I shared with us the wailing wall that's still standing that was part of the temple. That he was referring to the temple that will be in Jerusalem in the last days during the final period of the indignation when Israel's sin reaches its climax during their apostasy. And we learned that our Lord wasn't merely referring to, although he could in passing be also referring to its immediate destruction, but there was more to it. So if you were to, let's say we were to say, okay, our Lord, we understood him to mean that when he said that this temple will be destroyed, and then when it was destroyed in 70 AD, then that prophecy is fulfilled. We'll look at that prophecy closely, and one key characteristic of that prophecy was not one stone will be left upon another. History confirms this, and in fact, it's still there. So this prophecy isn't fully fulfilled, but it'll find its full fulfillment when the temple that will be rebuilt will be destroyed, and at that time, not one stone will be left upon another. But as far as the destruction of 70 AD, our Lord certainly wept for that. And you can say he even wept for the future tears tears for its ultimate destruction. You recall when our Lord lamented over Jerusalem, and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets sent to you. He goes, how I longed to gather your children as a hen would her chicks, but you would not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Definitely has implications of 70 AD, but also beyond that to its final destruction. Our Lord wept in advance of what's going to happen. And then as for the answer to the fourth and final question, where does the sign fall with respect to the breaking of the first seal? It turned out I asked the loaded question. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But here's what we arrived. When, our, when the disciples asked our Lord for a sign, 
He didn't give them one sign or one event. He gave a list of events and at least uniquely categorized as 12 distinct signs. The disciples asked, what's the sign? He gave them a list of history. And among that is the abomination of desolation. And what I did was, I said, okay, originally I took Luke and I took Matthew. And I took their accounts, lined them side by side, and I tried to group this list of events that our Lord gave. And this is the chart that we came up with. You remember this one? I know it's busy. But when I took those two accounts, trying to pay close attention to the conjunctions and the groupings, this was my original effort in trying to put on one page what our Lord was communicating to his disciples. So as I'm going through the preparation for reviewing this, I didn't consider Mark. When I harmonized the, all of the Great Olivet Discourse, or at least when I originally tried, I had two of the three accounts. So then I said, okay, well, let's test it out. Pulled up Mark's right next to it. What happened was, it challenged, the stru- it challenged the structural integrity, if you will, of our chart. Oh, man. I probably spent a dozen hours on that. And I have this one piece that pretty much made it crumble. And I was like, are you kidding me? It was humbling. So what I'd like to do, I said, okay, for our review, you can call this also a redo. Because this time... I'm going to use all three and see what we come up with. So this would, I'd be lining up Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. And the goal is for this exercise is I want to provide us a chart that is what I would call more structurally sound. And here's why we're going to do this again. I mentioned this countless times. You guys are interested in studying Revelation. You, You can't study Revelation apart from Daniel and the Old Testament as as its foundation. Sadly, a lot of teachings out there build their theology and doctrine concerning end times, or lack thereof, based on the New Testament church, period. You can't understand and study Revelation apart from Daniel, especially with his visions, and then the rest of the Old Testament as its foundation. And I would also say, if we're going to study this great Olivet Discourse, we can't fully understand what our Lord said with just two sides of a story when there's three accounts. Here's what I find, I'm telling you right now. They're all jumbled up. They didn't give it in straight order. Matthew will write here, and then he'll jump here, and then he'll jump down here. Mark somewhat does the same, but I'm, I'm relying on Luke to give it to us straight, because he's a historian by trade. Meaning meaning this, if anyone teaches the Olivet Discourse and just uses one of the accounts, or even two of the accounts, short-sighted, you're not going to get the complete picture. So I'm endeavoring for us to harmonize these three again. I mean, but harmonize the Olivet Discourse again, but this time, instead of just the two with the three. But here's also what I found. 
as I went through this, I call it grueling. I think I went seven hours straight, and then I was starting to get cross-eyed. So I'm telling you now, if any of this is off by a little bit, I'm not perfect. But I'm finding that going through this exercise and you align them side by side and group them, you could put it together. It's just not easy. So here's our approach. I'm telling you, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to take all three accounts and line them side by side so you can walk through this with me. I'm going to make my best efforts to group the verses the best we can. I color-coded them so you can tell me if I'm off too. Look, you can check my work. I took all three accounts and I gave them unique colors so that you can see that they're talking about the same thing. Then I'm also going to pay attention to time markers and then this, after this. Those are time markers. That tells me, okay, the vision before or that event before is at, or that was before what's coming next. I'm paying close attention and I even put brackets on that. And then we're going to do the same thing. I'm going to label them, sign one, sign two, and I'm telling you this. I didn't know if it's going to, I'm not going to even tell you if it's going to come up with 12. I came up with 12 signs. I can't make it fit 12. If it fits 12, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to have to come up with another way to display it to you. But we'll label them, sign one, sign two, etc. We're also going to give them a short title. So once we group them together, give them, let's say, a, a designation so that we can index them, and then we're going to give it a short description, kind of like our cliff notes, to help summarize that sign. And we're going to categorize them into the different stages based on labor. And I want to talk about this. This is going to be, I'm going to use this to frame how we're going to study the great Olivet Discourse. Why labor? Because he said, when he gave a certain number of signs, he says, these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. A woman giving labor and having contractions. So then I searched the net and I tried to find the simplest kind of diagram that shows the stages of labor. And for the women here, and especially I know for my wife, she's very familiar with giving labor or giving birth, being in labor. And I said this before, I'm glad I'm not a woman. And I love her to death for it. She took one for the team. But there's really two stages in labor. And what this chart looks to or tries to display is in the first stage of labor, there's kind of three phases. They call it the Latin phase, latent phase, where someone, the woman, the mother gets contractions, and let's say they're about zero to three is that centimeters dilated. And then when they get a little further along, they get to the active phase where they're now dilated three to seven centimeters. And then further from that, now it's starting to get more intense. It's called the transition phase seven to 10 centimeters dilated. And then finally, when you get to the full 10 centimeters, then you're at the stage of delivery where the woman is now ready to push the baby out. I'm going to integrate the stages of labor even in our harmonization of the great Olivet Discourse. And to also help label this, I added these kind of markers. See this? I just say, okay, there's, let's call the first stage, and there's three kind of substages within that. Let's call it 1A, 1B, and 1C. And then when we get to the final stage, when they're fully dilated, and this leads to the birth, 
Let's call that two. So we will integrate this as we group the different signs together and where are we in the labor process? Make sense? So here's gonna be our guide. I'm gonna put Matthew, Mark, Luke side by side. Then once we group them, I'm gonna ask you to nod. Does this look correct to you? You say, yeah. Okay, here's the sign we're gonna give it. And here's the short title, short description, and here's the labor stage. And then we'll move on to the next. And let's see how far we go. When you read Luke, he gave us a time marker. He says, but before all these things. And if you read it in context, it's, be it's before verses 8 through 11. So he gave a couple of signs. But he says, before this, this is going to happen first. See, but before all these things, what he just said. So Luke brought us to our very first sign. And here's what it was. He says, they're going to lay their hands on you and will persecute you and delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead for an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Here's Mark's account. And look at the green. They will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. So if you look at the green for Mark, Mark 13.9 and Luke 21.12, you'll see that, does that look like they're talking about the same thing? If it's not highlighted, those are at least things I said that were unique to that passage. So some accounts might give you a little more detail than another. And if they are, I won't even color code that. So you can kind of quickly see what was unique to that passage. But how about in blue? Do you worry, uh, he goes, do not worry beforehand for what you're about to say, but whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Who, but the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he said also in verse 14 in Luke? So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents shall be able to test or refute. And in verse 16 about the betrayal, it's there. So you see the greens? Look, and then Matthew, he didn't talk about anything in the green, and he didn't talk about anything in the blue, but he did say many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. So for this particular event, Luke and Mark are almost identical, whereas Matthew, he only mentions the last part of this. But you see the kind of color coding, is that helping? Are we good with this? So in, in Mark 13 and Luke 21, it talks about being flogged. They didn't talk about being killed. Um, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the prisons and bringing you before kings and governors. But Matthew talks about then after being flogged, that's why I put after being flogged, they will, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. At that time, time marker, many will fall away, many will betray and one another and hate one another. So that's why that's in black. So Matthew tells us you're not, just all, you're not only going to get persecuted, but you will be delivered over to death. 
we can do a study on that one time and see how the apostles were killed. Okay, but are you kind of seeing this? Are, are, are we good? So let's, get, let's call this sign one, okay? Here's the title I'm going to give this, Church Tribulation. The church tribulation, it began with the persecution of the apostles, amen? After our Lord died, rose, and ascended, who was persecuted first? Who was the object of persecution? For preaching the gospel, it was the apostles. Are they not the church? Are we not, are not the apostles the, the church? Yes. So I'm giving this a short title of church tribulation. It began with the persecution and killing of them, but then other believers will follow suit. So if you follow history, right? The apostles were persecuted and so were others. Remember Polycarp? The church has been experiencing tribulation from the time of the apostles forward. And follow history. Church tribulation started then, happened after them, and even in the middle between us and them, even up to the Reformation. But the apostles, and here's where I don't have, I'm, I'm relying on the reliability of Scripture, but the apostles were betrayed by their own people and family. And they were hated, and our Lord says, you'll be hated by all nations and will too be betrayed among their family in the last days. Or speaking about the church. Okay. So the apostles who were betrayed by their own people and family, guess what's going to happen to the church? The time will come when we will be hated by all nations too, and we'll be betrayed among even our own family in the last days. So if you think that this is just unique to the apostles, then we have a wake-up call that the time will come when someone will rise to power and will have authority to persecute and kill us. And when that time happens, don't, be, don't, don't take offense if a loved one or a family member turns you in for being a believer which is my final comment, the church tribulation. It will continue. It started with the apostles, but it's going to continue until the end of the age. This is what our Lord told them, and this is what we can learn from this. So as far as the labor stage, you see that picture there? I, took, I try to take, we're in the very early stage of labor. So when the apostles were being persecuted and then ultimately killed, that church tribulation began the woman, figuratively speaking, that will give birth to the return of Christ has gotten her first contraction. That's the first contraction when the, the apostles were persecuted, flogged, and killed. That's a contraction in the birth. So we're talking about this woman, figuratively speaking, has been in labor for 2,000 or so years. And back then, that was the first contraction. So stick with this imagery because when the woman gives birth and is ready to push, that's when Christ comes. Okay? That's why I think this labor imagery will help, hopefully, us understand. But this is the first sign. This is, but this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go a little faster because we will be here forever. To your point earlier, <laughs> we're going to be here for hours. But are, are we good with this? This is one. See, that already threw my chart off from the first one. Because in the other chart, the I am he, I put first. So when he says, what's the sign before my return and the destruction of the temple and then the end of the age? 
And he gives them a list of things. Well, the first thing is you're going to be flogged and brought before kings and governors, but don't worry about what you're going to say. I will give you the words to say. But he goes, not a head of your hair will perish, and by your endurance you will be saved. So the first sign, he says, is what's going to happen to you. This, you're you're going to be persecuted first before this stuff goes down. And that happens to play out. 70 AD happened after they were killed. But the beloved apostle John survived it so that he can give us this great book of Revelation that we can study now. But are you following me? Is, is, this, is this good? Okay. Ready for the next one? Put it in green. Would you say that that lines up? See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Didn't Mark pretty much say the exact same thing here? And also Luke, see that you're not misled, because many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Will we say that they're talking about the same thing here? Let's call this sign number two. False Christs and false prophets. So here's what's going to happen. Following apostolic persecution, many Christ, false Christs and false prophets will arrive in Jerusalem and make bold claims. Isn't this not what even John said? That many you know, antichrists is coming. In fact, many antichrists have come. So the next event that's unique in and of itself is false Christs and false prophets will arrive on the scene. And it already started that first century. So with that, I gave this its unique sign. We're still in the early parts of labor. Contractions are fairly mild. Just a little discomfort. You know, for the, for the women, they can understand this. When you're early on in the contractions, it's just more discomfort. When you get that contraction, it's just hard and a little uncomfortable, as, I, like, as if I know. But that's what, it's, that's what was being communicated to me, so I can only try to understand. But you can see at this stage, it's more of a, a nuisance. Ready for your next one? He says, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Look what Mark says. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end, almost verbatim. And here's Luke. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Would we agree that these are all saying the same thing. So let's give this, let's call this sign three. And I'm going to call this Israeli wars. And here's the description I gave it. For their entire existence, Israel will be the subject of wars and rumors of wars amidst much turmoil and chaos. Can I get an amen? Their very existence, our Lord says, you're going to be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, O Israel. But don't be frightened. At least he's comforting his disciples and those in the faith. He's saying, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So although their temple and nation was taken away from them in 70 AD, our Lord is even saying here, that is not even yet the end. As long as Israel exists and is recognized as a nation, they will always be the subject of wars and rumors amidst much turmoil and chaos, and that is also ringing true even today. Our Lord said this already. As long as you're around, you're going to be the object and subject of wars and rumors. 
Our Lord knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? But I gave that sign number three, and I called it Israeli Wars. Good? Next one, Mark, because he gave us a time marker, and then, okay? If anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, and behold, there he is, but didn't, isn't that earlier in false Christ, false Messiah? So this is where I had to pay attention to the time markers, because, and then, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him, for false Christ, the false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect, but take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. So what's unique about this one is not only are the false Christ and false messiahs going to arrive on the scene and make bold claims, but they're actually going to do something. And not only are they going to do something, they're going to lead astray, if possible, the elect. You know, I remember when I first read this and said, I go, the elect who? It's so crystal clear, at least, at least immediately, its immediate context is elect Israel. They're still the elect of God, amen? Is not Israel God's people? And that's a title that our God chose to identify with them in relation with them, that they are his people? They are God's people. They are elect because of the promises given to their forefathers. They will always be God's people. But doesn't mean they're all saved because we see how God deals with them when they're disobedient but they're still elect. It's them immediately. Here's Matthew's account. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if the possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. Any reservations you think they're, does this look like they're talking about the same thing? I even try to highlight it <laughs> so you can see it and color code it. Luke doesn't mention this one, but Mark and Matthew did. So I'm going to give this. I'm going to call this sign four. And here's this unique description. Israel misled to apostasy. Israel will be misled to apostasy. So to back up their claims, these false Christs and false prophets, they're going to perform great signs and wonders, and many in Israel will be deceived and believe them. I'm telling you, this is acts relived. They're going to be doing some stuff that we thought only happened during the Acts of the Apostles. It's going to be happening there, and many in Israel will be misled and believe them because of their sign. Do you remember this? When our Lord was here, what sign are you going to give us? He goes, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And he goes, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. Meaning, back in our Lord's day, they were asking for a sign to validate who you are. They're going to do the same thing. When these false Christs and false messiahs saying, I am he, prove it. And they're going to display signs and wonders. And then they're going to believe. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he says the apostasy must come first and then the son of lawlessness will appear. That's the apostasy. That must happen first. But we're like, wait, I thought we were told in some of our past teachings, well, the apostasy is the apostasy of the church. The apostasy of the church needs to happen first and then the son of, the, 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 the son of lawlessness, the son of perdition will appear on what basis are you, are you making that claim? 
Here, it's more appropriated to the people of Israel. That apostasy. They're going to follow false Christ and false messiahs. That's why he says, Behold, I have told you in advance. Now, could that filter out to the church? Sure. But at least I'm talking about more immediate. It's the people of Israel. That's why I titled this, Israel misled to apostasy. This is our fourth unique sign. Is this helping? By this point, as far as the contractions, it's still fairly steady. And the reason why is because he says these are merely the beginning of birth pangs, and I'm going to get to that, so I'm not going to bump up the intensity because our Lord still said, well, these are just merely the beginning of birth pangs. So I'm not going to raise up the intensity right away of this labor. But this is one of those that are part of the beginning of pangs. Ready for the next one? For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Verbatim. Matthew and Mark. Verbatim. I love it. Here is a straight shot. This is easy. Probably the easiest one. Sign number five. Gentile wars. Gentile nations will wage war against other Gentile nations. That began in the first century until the end of the age. And guess what? Rome wasn't exempt. They too ultimately fell. And Gentile nations continue to wage war even from the fall of Rome forward. And in fact, it's very relevant in our recent history and in our world today. World War I, World War II, more recent, Russia, Ukraine. I don't even know if that's still going on. It's not being reported. And of course, we just talked about Hamas and Israel. Nation rose up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And now there's tensions even concerning, there's always been tension between China and Taiwan, and now even China and the Philippines. Nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. But when our Lord said this, he said this is going to continue to the end. What that means is when wars are happening, don't get all bent out of shape. Our Lord told us these things must happen and will continue to happen even up to and including his return. There will be constant warfare in this present age. And nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. But I call this Gentile wars. So far, so good. Next one. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. And that's why he says, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So that was Matthew's account. Here's Mark's. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will also be famines. These are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And then here's Luke. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. What's unique about Luke, and I swore I unbolded it, but it didn't take, plagues. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. So Luke gave us plagues, which can also be pestilence. And I call this sign number six, worldwide calamities. He says there's going to be time of great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. And that happened from the first century, and that'll continue until the end of the age. But this particular sign is very relevant in recent history and in our world today. How many of us have heard of the bubonic plague? How about HIV, AIDS, cancer, COVID? Would you say that there was a pestilence 
in various places. COVID fit the bill. And then as far as great earthquakes, and I Googled this, I said, you know, what's the greatest earthquake? And this came up. It's called the 1960 Great Chilean Earthquake. It registered 9.5 on the Richter scale. If I'm not mistaken, here in the Great Quake of 89, I think it was like 7.7 or something. This is 9.5. But this sign is worldwide calamities. And when we get to this stage, it's going to start to pick up in the labor process. Because remember, in so sign six, he goes, but all these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And from this point, we will be picking up, as far as the labor stage intensity, it'll start to pick up from here. Keep going? Okay, we're halfway through this Olivet Discourse. But we ready for the seventh one? Now, this one is unique. He says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. That's very vague. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew was the only one who called this one out. That's why I said stand alone. So I want to talk about this particular one, because this, this kind of just sticks out there kind of on its own. It's, on a, it's kind of on an island. So here's what I did. I looked at all of Scripture, at least in the New Testament, at every mention of lawlessness and lawless. I looked at both of them. Because our Lord said, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. That's so vague. So I wanted to go to the Scripture and say, okay, well, what more insights can we get so that we can understand what our Lord said here? Here's what I found. Remember, I looked at Every mention of lawlessness and lawless. Those who practice lawlessness calls Jesus Lord, Lord. We're familiar with Matthew 7. Not everyone on that day, or not everyone on that day, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because our Lord says, you who practice lawlessness. And these, this group, at least, who calls Jesus Lord, Lord, they did some incredible things. They prophesied in Jesus' name and his authority. They cast out demons in Jesus' name and authority. And they performed many miracles. He goes, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name and authority cast out demons and perform many miracles? And he says, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Away from me, you who practice lawlessness. And when you get to Matthew 13, the lawless ones are among the stumbling blocks to the people of Israel. And they're also characterized as outwardly appearing righteous to men. Here's the interpretation. Judaizers. They're characterized as those who practice lawlessness, who prophesy in Jesus, or at least this group will prophesy in His name and authority, cast out demons and perform many miracles. And are they not among the stumbling blocks to the people of Israel? And don't they outwardly appear to be righteous to men? So at least this more applicably applies to Judaizers. Furthermore, those who practice lawlessness, the Scripture tells us, they're void of love. Does it say the love of most will grow cold? Well, in Matthew 24, 12, that's where we're getting that. 
impure. Sin is master. They obey its lusts. They use body as instrument of unrighteousness. And that's in Romans 8. They're contrasted as practicing unrighteousness in Hebrews 1. And practicing, thing, uh, practicing sin is lawlessness, John tells us in his first epistle, chapter 3. So here's a deduction. When our Lord says lawlessness is increased, it has its primary focus on Judaism. When our Lord says lawlessness is increased, can it be broadly applied to mean the rest of the world, such as even now in our nation, lawlessness is increased? Sure. But for the purposes of this exercise, we're going to keep it narrowly focused on dead works and Judaism. Remember this principle, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As far as lawlessness is increased, to the Jew first, and then, yes, the rest. So lawlessness is increased to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's a deduction I'm making. So now when we go here, I'm going to call this Judaism is in full effect. It's in full force. Because in order for lawlessness to increase, dead works needs to increase and be back. And when you do dead works, you're, what are you on the inside? Full of love? No. You'll be in the same state as the Jews were when our Lord came the first time. When He calls them, you would look righteous on the outside, but in the inside, you are a whitewashed wall. Could you say a whitewashed wall is void of love? I think so. And their heart was so hard and calloused that they even killed the Lord of glory. Would you say that they were void of love? But they were really big on, them, on their heritage, the people of Israel, and they relied on dead works, and we know how that goes. And even the writer of Hebrews saying to leave the elementary teachings, leave dead works, and pursue the mature things, because they are found in Christ. These works that you're doing, these festivals, these observations that you're doing, they're but a shadow. And the person that that pointed to was the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this one was unique. And I said, wait, if you look at it, this is a sign Judaism is in full effect. In order for Judaism to be full in effect, what needs to happen? What is that? They have to have a temple so that they can do the dead works again. There will be a third temple. So they will reinstitute temple worship, sacrifices, and other dead works, and they're going to rely on works just as their fathers did at the time of Christ. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And just as... They were devoid of love at the first coming of Christ. They will be devoid of love at His second coming. And the rest of the world will follow suit. By this time, we're still in that middle stage of the first stage where the contractions are now fairly intense. Still with me? This one is the pinnacle. The abomination of desolation. Here's Matthew's account. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. 
Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Here is Mark's account. We can feel fairly comfortable they're saying the same thing because they use the same even term, abomination of desolation. Here's Luke's account, which was fairly big. Luke, he added a lot of other details that Matthew and Mark didn't. Like, for example, Luke brought out Jerusalem will be surrounded by army, by armies. He's saying when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Luke also gives us these details. He says, These days are the days of vengeance so that all the things which are written will be fulfilled. And he also gives us this last detail, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And I want you to speak a little about this even concerning the present war with Hamas and Israel. At least this is what's being reported that they're being killed, whether it be a sword or a knife. And what are you hearing? A lot of them are being kidnapped. Can I use another word? They're being taken captive back to Gaza. They're being taken into captivity. It's even happening now. But that will continue to be the case surrounding the time when the abomination of desolation occurs and is erected in the temple. This won't be the only time that they'll be taken captive and kidnapped and who knows what is being done to them. But as far as this, we agree that this is the, this is, they're all saying the same thing here. So let's give this sign number eight. And I'm calling this Jerusalem's final tribulation because Jerusalem has been in tribulation, but this will be the last one. Israel will retreat and they're going to lose their final war to Gentile nations. Most of them will either be killed or taken into captivity, kidnapped. The abomination of desolation is erected in the holy place. This is what the scripture calls the days of vengeance and the final period of the indignation. Here at the labor stage, we're no longer in medium intensity. The contractions is pretty much heightened at this point. If we're sticking with the labor imagery. We are towards the end of the first stage now. The baby is going to come really soon. When the abomination of desolation occurs, our Lord is coming sooner than ever before because that window is now shorter. But he goes, but immediately after the tribulation, time marker, after the tribulation, what tribulation is this? You're paying attention. <laughs> Very good. Jerusalem's final tribulation. See how now we could follow? But immediately after the tribulation, that one of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, for then there will be great tribulation. Now that's a different tribulation than the other tribulation. Such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Which days are these now? Is this the Jerusalem's tribulation? No. 
This is the global tribulation. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And when we get finally to the seals and then to the trumpets, there's going to come a time where a third of the people are killed and a third of the land is on fire and a third of the cargo is destroyed and a third of the sea life is killed. And had the Lord not shortened those days, no life would have been saved. You know, I think about this, um, this one account. Uh, I remember back in the Old Testament when uh, King David, one time he wanted to take a census and even his, you know, his confidant was like, David, why are you doing this? And he's, he insisted in any ways and he did. And he got his, then he got the census. It took, I don't know, several months or whatever it was, maybe even a year because they didn't have technology back then like we did. And he came back and reported the number. And then David was stricken in his conscience that he did that. You can even say maybe he even lacked faith. And because of that, our Lord gave David three choices. Do you remember this one? He, he says, because you did this, you're going to be disciplined. Here are your three choices. And I forget what they were, but it was something like, if you, um, you, you'll, be, you'll be given into your hands of your enemies, or you'll be on the run, and inflicting the people with calamity. And David said, he's like, just do not allow me to fall into the hands of my enemy because who knows what they'll do to me. So then an angel was given the command and the Lord started to inflict the people with some sort of pestilence and they started to die in masses. And then the Lord said, that's enough. And then the angel turned away. So kind of in that same way, when we get to those days of this global tribulation, angelic activity is behind what's going on on the world that's causing casualties. But when it says a third, when it hit that number, the Lord said, that's enough. And unless the Lord didn't do that, he said, no one would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, he cut it short. We're going to finish at this sign. We're not going to get to the end. But I want to finish this one. For those days will be a time of tribulation. Here's Mark's account that hasn't occurred since the beginning of the creation of God, nor ever will. Now we know exactly what that's talking about. It wasn't talking about the people in the land of Israel. He's saying, for those days will be a time of tribulation such as never has not occurred since the beginning of the creation of God, which God created until now. You know what just dawned on me? Well, how about the flood? That destroyed everybody. I guess that's somewhat merciful compared to this type of calamity. Even losing a third. And who knows, maybe that kind of tells us then, in order for this to be greater, then that third loss would be more than the entire flood, the population of the flood at that time. That's how it could be greater. This is the worst thing that has ever happened since creation. Well, if you look at it that way, then the loss then that third number will be more than the loss during the flood. Hmm. That kind of gives us a, an idea. But Mark, he, he did give us a time marker, because, but in those days after that tribulation, there's that same time marker. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Now Luke, he gives us, a little more detail. I want to read the unhighlighted part. 
And on the earth, dismay among the nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world because of the power of the, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. But would we agree that these three passages are talking about the same thing? Yeah, in the sun, there will be sign in the sun's moon and stars, and that sign is it'll be dark. And stars will be falling to the earth. So here is our last sign for today. Let's call this sign number nine. This is the great global tribulation. So our study about the tribulation, and we study the different tribulations for the different groups, it's proving to be true. Isn't it true? Look, we, there was a church tribulation. Look, I, I'm, I'm saying the same thing, right? There was a church tribulation that's accounted for in this chart so far. There's Jerusalem's tribulation. And now we have the great global tribulation. Look, it's all here. And it's all, these groups are implicated even in this Olivet Discourse. But here's what this sign, here's what's unique about this one. Now, if someone says, oh, that's just figurative. When it says the, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, it's just some fancy writing that gives more emphasis on whatever. Don't believe it. This present heavens will be shaken. And what's going to happen is the sun and the moon will be darkened. And when you look at the stars, Astir, asteroids. You know how now NASA exists? They kind of have a watchdog about asteroids that might come in and strike Earth, and some has over time. But NASA now exists to kind of see what's going on out there. Well, this sign, when the heavens are shaken at this time, now this is after the abomination of desolation, and this great global tribulation follows Meteors are going to start making its way to earth. Not only that, because the heavens got shook, because Luke gives us this detail, he says, and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea. When the heavens are shaken, whoa, there's going to be tidal waves, tsunamis like never before. So much so that it says, that men will faint from fear from the expectation of, about the things that are about to happen to the world. And there's going to be death in masses. We are definitely getting closer to fully dilated, aren't we? But we will pause here and we will pick it up next time. Thank you again for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. We will continue our in-depth review of the Olivet Discourse next time, and we do hope that you'll join us for that as Pastor Alex reveals even more incredible findings from this rich passage of Scripture. And if you have any questions or comments about today's study, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us through our website, truthmatterschurch.org. We encourage you to tune in to our studies on Friday nights through our website, again, truthmatterschurch.org, or here on Sermon Audio. Contending for the faith, one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.